Hey there, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the In Layman's Terms podcast. I'm News Channel 5 sports anchor and the play-by-play voice of Belmont basketball, Steve Layman. Glad to talk to you again, and good to be back. Basketball season wrapped up, Final Four, both the men's and women's side. Very exciting, UConn winner on the men's side. Of course, the women's Final Four, highest rated of all time, LSU taking down Iowa in a hotly contested and much-talked-about national championship game and today we're going to visit with Bart Brooks the head basketball coach on the women's side of Belmont and we're going to cover a lot of topics including that final four and the discussion that came about those games the viewership the controversy within it and then the off-season landscape I don't know if you're like me but I've been looking around for the last month or so And I don't really recognize what I see in college basketball, men's and women's side, both of them. You you just hear more and more stories about kids going into the transfer portal. You hear more and more stories about NIL and how that might factor in into next season's rosters. And it it certainly played an impact on Bart's team. Uh, They have really been hit by the transfer portal for the first time since he's been there. And so it's just another thing that Belmont's got to deal with as it moves forward into the Missouri Valley Conference and tries to continue to be one of the best programs in the country. We'll talk to Bart about that and the all-encompassing changing landscape in college athletics and how both his side and the men's side are trying to navigate that as he addresses his roster getting set for next season. We'll get into Bart's coaching philosophy a little bit, his leadership style, and how he navigated this season with so many expectations in a new league, losing one of his best players in Tootie Jones and just missing out on another NCAA tournament trip. Bart's also very candid in our conversation about his family, his upbringing in Wyoming, and how that has inspired him to do the things he's done as a head coach. So we hope you sit back and enjoy this podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe so you get the notifications about Our future podcast as well, you can go back and check out some of our old ones with guys like Jim Nance, Matt Norlander, of of course, the legendary coach Rick Bird as well. But for now, thanks so much for listening. Sit back and enjoy our conversation with Bart Brooks. Well, I would like to welcome to the program the one and only Bart Brooks, head coach of the Belmont women's basketball team. Bart, thanks for coming on. How is life here postseason now as we get into mid and late April? Yeah, thanks for having me, Steve. This is awesome. Uh, You do a great job with this, and it's an honor uh, to be on with you. Um, It's been uh, been a whirlwind since the season ended for us. Uh, It's uh, the new day and age in college athletics. Uh, I think old... Five, six years ago, after the season, you'd take a couple of weeks and and really just catch your air. Uh, but now it's, you know, that literally the season ends and you're immediately transitioning to uh, roster management and trying to figure out, um, you know, how you're going to put your team together for next year. And that, that happens a lot quicker now than it used to. So we're in the middle of that. And um, it's exciting because we, we have an opportunity to improve our program through the recruiting and the transfer portal. But it's also... It's also a whirlwind. We haven't really come up for air yet. It's incredible when I look around at college basketball, men's and women's side. I don't know if I recognize any roster right now. I mean, the season just ended and you look around and it's, if you're following, it's like a completely different thing. 
when you look down at the gym some days, and I, I don't know, the young ladies are coming in to just shoot around. Can you even feel the team right now? How much do you recognize the bodies that are coming into Crockett every day? Yeah, I mean, it, it's we we love the group we have. Uh, you know, we we've got a really solid core uh, that's committed to this program, and we're really excited about that group. But I tell you what, it's it's um it's it's a puzzle right now trying to figure out how to piece the right players together with what we've got and to make it a good fit. And I think when when you recruit for a place like Belmont. Uh, there's also a bigger picture that you've got to you've got to make sure you bring in players that represent our university in a really good way, uh, because we are we are the spotlight. We're in the uh, center stage uh, with with our program and how we represent this great university. So uh, that that's a challenge in the transfer portal recruiting window that is takes a two three year process and it condenses it into about a two week process. Uh, so that that's been a challenge, but. Probably the biggest thing for me is is I'm trying to finish schedule for next season, and we have no idea the rosters of the teams we're going to play. We can we could commit to play someone this week and next week they could have a completely different team. So that's a that's an interesting piece of it that you're really not sure. No one's really sure right now what we're going to get next year. Well, and you have scheduled murderers row for your yeah. non-conference schedule the last couple of years because you knew you had great teams coming back a little bit of uncertainty of what your roster is going to look like right now. How, how much more difficult does it make it? And do you maybe back off the gas just a little bit because of that? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely crossed my mind um, <laughs> to try to, to try to put our players in position to have some early season success. But uh, I tell you what, it's, it's not easy to schedule uh, when, when you're Belmont, when you call and uh, people, People pick up the phone and you, you, you say you want to schedule a game. There's not a lot of people that are jumping up and down to do that. Uh, so it's been a challenge for us to find um, to find the kinds of games that maybe some teams easily find. Uh, but for us, really, uh, I, I'm really confident in the group that we've got. I'm confident um, in in our what we've got to sell, and we've got a really really solid. Uh, group of freshmen coming in to mix with our returners and and now we're looking to add a couple pieces through the transfer portal that could really enhance and help us maybe take that next step and we're in the mix with some really good ones so I, I'm excited about that it's been such a great run at Belmont and really you had kept the core of your team for a long period of time and obviously wins in the NCAA tournament the two previous years before this season. So I think there were some people, even in this day and age, you kind of looked when they saw Madison Bartley, Destiny Wells leaving and kind of said, you know, what's, what's going on? Or, or what's, what's this new era of college basketball? Were you surprised? Or at this point, there's just nothing surprise you when it comes to college basketball these days. Yeah. A little bit of both. I mean, I, I think there was, there was so much stability in our program and that's why we've been good is because we've had stability and we've had the opportunity to to bring players in and to coach them and to help them develop and grow as players, as young ladies. And and for for us as a program, that's why we have been good, consistently good, uh, that that the older players on our team, our, our seniors and juniors have mentored our freshmen and sophomores. And that's been a, a recipe for us. And so I think the shift in college athletics over the last couple of years uh, this is this is the new normal, and uh, it, for for a program like Belmont, we we put ourselves on a national stage and we go compete against some really good programs and really good teams, and our players get exposure and they do get recognized, they do get noticed, and I think that probably was was a part of 
of us losing a couple of really talented, uh, impactful players on our roster that they they were in the spotlight and people knew about them. And, um, and un- the, one of the unfortunate parts of, I think, what this this uh, transfer portal NIL era has done is is it's increased the uh, back channel recruiting that goes on during the season uh, that these players, I think, are being are being talked to and influenced outside of our sphere uh, long before the transfer portal window actually happens at the end of the year. So uh, that stuff happens. I I know it happens all the time uh, in in all high levels of college sports. Uh, But for us on the women's side, I think that's something that's probably a lot more prevalent now than it's ever been. Do you think there's an appetite to clean that up somehow? I mean, this really has become the wild west as it's gotten implemented because NIL, you had all these state legislatures coming in and creating their own rules and it really got going before the NCAA got on board. And so you had a bunch of people almost playing by a different set of circumstances. Now it's a little bit more uniform in the NIL category, but it still makes a huge impact to the transfer things. And to your point, I've heard of multiple stories this year where like a guy goes on the road, plays a good game for his team or a lady goes on the road, plays a good game for her team. And after the game's over, she gets approached or he gets approached by someone that may be from the other school or maybe is a third party school or something that says, hey, what about this? And it's just to me, that goes completely against the spirit of the whole idea of college athletics. If you put your name in the transfer portal in March or April, okay, have at it. Any coach can can come talk to you. That is what it is. But the idea that people are doing that in December or January in the middle of a season when you're committed to playing, like that's the part I hate. Is is there an appetite within the NCA and certainly amongst you coaches to get that fixed? I think there is. Um, and I think all coaches, um, you know, when we're, when we're in this position, um, we, we've, we can't have it both ways. We can't, we can't field calls from AAU coaches and high school coaches in the middle of the season and see what our interest is in a player on another program's uh, team uh, and, and still not want that to happen to us. So I, I think there's, there's an appetite for change. Um, it, it's, it's just, it's a really difficult uh, landscape right now for us to really figure out. You mentioned it, the, the guardrails of the NIL stuff have been, more probably normalized and and there there there's been an attempt to try to make those more uh clear but there's still a lot of ambiguity with a lot of this stuff that is it pay for play are you is it a recruiting inducement all of the things that it's not supposed to be that we all we all in this business know that that's really what's happening here in a lot of these instances so uh, there, there's, I think for us, we're trying to figure out where we fit. We've, we've figured out how we fit in the landscape of college athletics uh, two, three years ago, how we could be nationally relevant and how we could recruit the kind of players that could help us compete at a really high level. And now things have changed and things have shifted. So we're really working hard as a staff and as a, an athletics department to try to figure out how does Belmont continue to do things the Belmont way with with the ability to stay relevant and to stay in a place where we can compete with uh, any team in the country. And and that's been our challenge. And I think we've got a, a good, a good start and a lot of good ideas that we're, we're putting together as a staff to, to move forward, but it definitely is going to look a little different than it has in the past. Have you talked with Casey Alexander much going through this process or other coaches out there? Because I know that's one thing I've heard from Belmont fans is, you know, 
the Belmont way started by Coach Bird and continued by Casey, where you get guys that are four and five-year players and you build up the program. I know that was the same thing on the women's side. And I guess it hit the men's team a couple years ago. Yep. It's hitting you now. And, and I think one of the things that impressed me the most about how the men's staff has done it is, yes, it was different pieces. They had nine new players this year on their roster but it still looked like a Belmont team. It was high character people. They fit in well. They played Belmont style basketball and they won. And those were the questions I think everybody had. Have you talked to him about how they managed to navigate it for this first year plus? For sure. I'm, I'm trying to spend as much time in his office as possible. So some of that <laughs> juice will rub off on us. Um, they, they, their, their staff did an incredible job of piecing together an entirely new roster and, and figuring out a way to put those players in position to be really successful in a really difficult first year in a, in a new league. Um, so there's, there's definitely a recipe. And I, and I think uh, really our challenge is, is we've got to work a lot harder to do our homework on a lot of these players, because the, like I talked about earlier, the, the window is very small. I mean, it's, it's a two week, we're talking to players this week that will be on campus next week and they'll be making decisions the weekend after. And so it's a very accelerated process. So we've got to do a lot of, a lot of background, a lot of due diligence about people that we know and trust. And uh, I think one of the th interesting things about the transfer portal is these, these players were all high school kids and a lot of them that we recruited. So there are a lot of prior rela relationships and, and we have a, we do have an understanding of fit usually before we, before we make that phone call about a player in the transfer portal. Uh, but I think what the men did, it, it shows it can be done. And we've just got to go and, and get the right pieces together and, and continue building on what we've already built. It's like the speed dating of college basketball. No doubt. You're, you're not out there watching or evaluating because it's all kind of there on tape. So what's the biggest thing when you're looking at a, a grad transfer or a transfer portal kid that may have various levels of you know, maybe a high major kid, maybe a mid-major kid, may have played a lot, may have not played a lot, but has the talent and the upside. What are the things you're trying to figure out in this very short window of how they fit? Yeah, I think the, one of the biggest things we try to figure out right away is, is this player about something more than themselves? I mean, a lot of players go to the transfer portal because they want more playing time or they want a bigger role or they want a star or they, they think they're a guard and they've been played as a post player or, or, you know, whatever the situation. One of the things that we work really hard to establish early in the process is that if they come to Belmont, they are going to have to be a part of something bigger than themselves and be willing to be willing to give up a little bit of that individual uh, success for a team that's going to succeed. And we try to be very clear about that early in the process. And that's probably why we've struck out a lot early in this process because we're not selling them uh, the world. And then when they get here, it's something different. And I think really in this process, so much of, of success, a lot of coaches and a lot of, of staffs will, will treat success as the commitment that that's the end goal, getting the commitment. Once you get the commitment, once the player signs, then you'll figure it out for us. We work really hard to get the fit, make sure it's the right fit. And then the commitment usually follows that that scenario. And uh, we've we've worked really hard to to identify some players that will fit our style and our our basketball, how we play. Uh, but really, the the biggest thing that we're trying to figure out with these players 
Is it, are they going to come in here and be great teammates? Are they going to be someone that we want to be around? Because uh, I tell you what, these trips, you go on, you go on the road for four or five days in a row. And if you don't like being around the people that you're with, it's going to be miserable for all of us. And so we're working hard to try to find that fit. Uh, people who are invested in, in appreciative of what Belmont is and what we rep who we get to represent every time we play. And and there's a lot of there's a lot of desire for what we have. And we've just got to find the right pieces and hopefully, hopefully they can make some baskets. That's the that's the other part of it. That's always a good thing. Well, I tell you what, it it's an interesting time. It's certainly a new time in college basketball. And there's gonna be people out there, probably a bunch of Belmont fans who hate this new era. But the the good thing is there's a lot to sell about Belmont and you and your staff are terrific. And I think there's a lot to be excited about for the future in a sport that is red hot right now. Yeah. Women's college basketball in particular is just awesome. And the numbers, the TV ratings for the final four, I love some of the controversy that came out of the last game, but in terms of the overall tournament, the play, and the viewership, could you ask for anything more? It, it was incredible. And and I think it's, um, for someone who's been in this for you know 20 plus years and watching it, uh, watching it grow and watching it evolve, uh, I think the excitement has always been there for those of us who have been in the middle of it and followed it. And what I'm excited about is that we've, we've found a way through the last couple of years, the, the last, I think the last three NCAA tournaments have been um, every game has been nationally televised on its own network. And that was a huge, a huge deal where there's, there's more opportunity for fans to consume the product. And I think getting it out and getting it uh, into a place where, where people who might not be women's basketball fans, but they like basketball, get to consume it and get to watch it and get to appreciate it. Uh, it it's been an unbelievable being in the bubble in San Antonio and the year that we won our first NCAA tournament game, that was, that was magical for us. The spotlight that got sh shown on the women's game, but largely for negative reasons for the disparities in the weight room and the facilities and how the tournaments were managed compared to the men's side and to see what it is now uh, where it's, you know, I, I think the tickets for the final four games, you know, you couldn't get one for the women's side and the men's, you know, it was, they were giving them away. So uh, that that's a different animal now that we have uh, the momentum that we're riding as a as a, a sport. It's exciting. It's unbelievably exciting, and I think it's well earned, well deserved. And for those of us who have been around and doing this for for a while, I think it's something that we've all recognized and seen ourselves. And now it's just being consumed at a, a lot higher rate. I thought the controversy between Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark from the championship game, I thought it was overblown and probably talked about too much, but I guess the flip side of that is they're talking about it. Yep. You know, five years ago, I don't know if anybody would have really noticed that happen on the national scale. Now it's like leading every talk show yep. of like, Oh, you know, was that disrespectful? And like, you know, the first lady speaking in and being in part of the whole thing, just yep. all of that conversation tells me how far the sport has come. Yeah, and, and and you're right. People are talking about it and people are interested and people are invested in it. And uh, for me, it's a little bit, even the transfer portal news that there's been a lot of high profile names enter the transfer portal and and there's interest to see where those players land. And there's, there's excitement to see what everyone's roster is going to look like next year and who's going to 
you know, when the schedules come out, there's, that's going to be exciting because I think teams are really uh, positioned to have another, you know, LSU, obviously a, an incredible run and, and a championship and, and they're positioning themselves to be one of the best teams in the country, if not the best team in the country again. And I think what the excitement, it's, it's similar to the NFL where there's, there's always news coming out of the NFL and the women's game, we're, we're starting to see excitement and, and stuff. Fans can get involved and excited about stuff that's not just the basketball. And I think that's a huge step of growth for the women's game that it's about rosters and it's about coaching moves and, you know, all those kinds of things that, that, that people get excited about when they really love a sport. And so that's, that's cool for us as a, as a women's basketball coaches to see people excited about what we're doing year round, not just, not just between the lines. I think the other thing that was exciting to me, Bart, when I looked at the tournament is it was a two and a three seed in the championship game. The three seed won the unbeaten heavily favored South Carolina Gamecocks going into the final four. It feels like seven years ago, it would have been a foregone conclusion that that team cuts down the nets. And certainly 20 years, it would have been a foregone conclusion. And the idea that you walked into that game, the electricity in the building there in Dallas, I know you were there, you can speak to that, but the contrast of styles, you have this team that all the athletes and all the size, and then you've got Caitlin Clark in Iowa and all the offense and all the skill and it's going back and forth. And the, I don't even want to call them an underdog, but not the heavily favorite team one. And then you get two and three in the championship game. That felt like the unpredictability that has made the men's tournament so great for so long. And now it's like, okay, that level of parity seems to be here on the women's side as well. No doubt. I think it's, it's, it's been for a lot of years, a foregone conclusion who the final four is going to be. When the bracket comes out, you can basically pick the final four and you're right. Nine times out of 10. And, and this year that was different. I think there was, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, interesting matchups and and upsets and and games that could have gone both ways and and really exciting um you know the the like you just spoke to it that the national semifinals where uh south carolina defensively and, and iowa offensively that the stylistic matchup was a was really a hyped up game that lived up to the hype and that's that's a really cool thing for our sport i think we're still five ten years away from having an eight seed in the final four, you know, the, the men's side, you, you see what Florida Atlantic did, um, San Diego State. I don't think we're quite there yet, but we're a lot closer now than we've ever been. And I think that that has added to the excitement and the, the intrigue of our sport because it isn't a foregone conclusion who's going to be in the final four. It, it's it's an exciting, you know, every game has has the chance for something magical to happen and that's that's really what makes march madness special is the upsets and the the cinderellas and and watching a team you know do something that everyone thinks is impossible well i know you were disappointed to not be a part of the field of 68 this year because you've been to six straight as a program six straight competed yeah. in ncaa tournaments of course the COVID year there was no tournament but it was a heck of a season. When you sit back and, and think about the first year in the Missouri Valley, 16 straight wins to get to the conference championship game. Destiny Wells was absolutely incredible the entire year. How do you sit back now, away from the disappointment of not getting to the end goal, and evaluate what this year was? 
Yeah, I, I probably still haven't had a, a great reflection time about the year, honestly, and, and it's um, that's partly due to the the nonstop nature of what we're in right now with recruiting and and trying to figure out schedule stuff and and just planning for what's next. Uh, but but I tell you, it, it was um, it was devastating to not be in the NCAA tournament for our program, and no one in our program had ever competed in the NIT, um, and that that's. You know, we, we had a transfer uh, from South Florida, a transfer from Vanderbilt, who had both competed in the NIT. But outside of those two players, no one um, knew what that was like. So it was a it was a roller coaster of of the the un unbelievable drain of losing in the championship game to then have to you know pick up and go compete in a, a tournament that no one was really sure uh, how this how this thing worked, and me included. Uh, it was a it was a learning experience for sure. But looking back on on what we did, won 16 con consecutive games, 16 straight, um, you know, a 16-game winning streak in any league is difficult, let alone a, a league as good as the Missouri Valley. Um, and to do that with a, a roster and a group of players that, you know, had had we said going into the year that we were going to have these nine players available and could you do this? I'm not sure. I'm not sure we'd have said yes, but uh, a lot of credit to the young ladies in that locker room that they they went through unbelievable adversity early in the season. You know, we we played a, a really difficult non-conference schedule and we got beat and we got beat a lot in some really tight one possession games and um, some some not so close games. And through all of that, though, I, I think there was a, an unbelievable, unbelievable connection with our group that they stuck together. They stayed the course. They kept working. They got better every day. And when it finally kind of came together for us, you know, in the middle of January, uh, we we started to get pretty good by the end of the year. And uh, so I'll, I'll appreciate that. I, I have a lot of appreciation for what our players overcame to get to that point. Uh, but still, I think the the way the year ends is always kind of the last taste in your mouth. And and we're we're disappointed that it didn't end better for us. That we didn't have a chance to compete in the NCAA tournament. Uh, but that's something that. Um, you know, I think we're going to, we have momentum, I think, to build on still from what we did in this, the first year in the Valley. I tell you what, it, it's a testament to what you and the ladies in your program have accomplished over all the years, that it is such a disappointment to only win a conference championship and, and not get there and frankly, not win once you get there because of the wins the last couple of years in the tournament. You talk about the Valley in year one and that run to share the conference championship, add another banner inside the curve and inside Crockett. Now that you've done it, what's the challenge to staying on top like you did so successfully in the OVC now in the Missouri Valley? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's um, it was a gauntlet of a, of a conference. That's for sure. The travel and, and learning the new systems and the, the different coaching styles, the different collection of players we had to compete against. Um, it, it was it was a huge challenge for us this year. And, you know, next year, uh, the, the transfer portal is is impacting our conference a lot. You know, there's a lot of players that are that are on the move or, or coming in or going out. And so there'll be a lot of shifting, a lot of changing still uh, that, that are, will go on throughout the next couple of months. Uh, so for us really to, to stay where we are, we've got a lot of getting better to do. And we know that. And we've I think the the depth on our roster, I think, was was one thing that, um, you know, going into the season, uh, 
not really knowing what it was going to be like to compete in that league. I think depth is a huge, a huge difference um, from what we've been used to that when you compete against some of these teams, they, they don't lose much, you know, when they sub and that's, that was a, a shift and, and a change. So I think a lot of the things that we do programmatically are, are preparing us for success in the Missouri Valley conference. And when that showed itself the first year, but um, man, it, it doing it one year, doesn't have any, any impact on what happens next year. And I think starting over and having our players in that, that fresh mindset of, of still feeling like we're hunters than the hunted. I think that's an important step for us. One of the things that so impressed me is Tootie Jones losing her early in the season for the entire season. And this team still finding ways to come together, win games and win a championship. I think it was surprising to me. I think it was a lot of people around basketball because she's such a good player. For people who haven't been over to Crockett and see how's she doing now, what do you expect to see from her on the court next year? Tootie, Tootie looks like a hundred bucks right now. She's um she is um as competitive and feisty as ever, and I think she is chomping at the bit to get back on the court and compete against someone else. And she's been she's been in workouts, and you know she's 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 close to being full go and um. She she was a huge loss for us. Just the competitor that she is, and in the the difference maker as a playmaker, uh, she creates so much with her her defensive energy and some of those easy baskets that we we always got from her. We we had trouble finding them without her. Uh, but she's she's in a great place, and she's really going to be a, a huge leader for us moving forward. Disappointment about the end of the season that we just talked about, but considering all of the adversity you went through, the injuries, the tough schedule, the new league and the travel that comes with that. To win as much as you did to win a championship, is this up there in terms of one of the more satisfying seasons you've had in terms of what you were still able to accomplish and and to get to that place? What were some of the, I guess, small victories along the way that you felt like, okay, this is this is what it's all about, this journey we're on together? Yeah, I mean, it, it really was. Um, <clears throat> I think back to the feeling after after winning the OVC tournament during the COVID year and how how special that felt. And you know, in our locker room after we beat Valparaiso to to. Uh, basically tie for the regular season championship this year in the Valley. Um, there were a lot of similarities. You know, I, th I think probably one of the biggest, um, most impactful moments for us in the season was, was Tessa Miller. Um, trying to think of the game. It was a, after our Drake loss at Drake, you know, we get beat by 30, 30 plus, And just, uh, you know, a beat down that we hadn't had as a program for, Man, two years, a lot, a lot, a lot of ever in a conference game. And, you know, between the, the Drake game and the Northern Iowa game, a day later, <clears throat> uh, Tessa Miller uh, sitting down with her and, and just really challenging her to be our leader, to be our, our emotional leader, to be our, our difference maker as a competitor, someone who wasn't going to take a lot of shots, but someone who could impact winning. And I think she took that that challenge. She embraced it. She um, she really changed the course of our season with her toughness, <clears throat> with her competitiveness, 
uh, with her willingness to do things that no one else, uh, no one else was willing to do at the time. And I think that's really shifted our, our team's focus on little things that could impact our team's success. And, and that was a huge step for us. Kendall Cheeseman is another player that came uh, that struggled early in the year, trying to figure out how she fit with a new team coming in, coming into Belmont as a transfer. And um, I think our season shifted when she she began to flourish in her role as as a <clears throat> as an elite scorer off the bench. Uh, her her shot making ability. Um, so some of those those little moments, I just think back to you know those two players, Kendall and Tessa, really taking on ownership and leadership in their roles that really helped the rest of the team be good in their role. And um, those are, those are things that if you, you're a casual fan, you might not notice as you watch the game or, or even look at a box score. Uh, but for us as a program, we, we understood how impactful those two players really shifting their focus on, on what the team needed and being there and being dependable and showing up every day. That was, that was a huge part of our success down the stretch. Well, it was a great season. And now we turn our attention fully to the off season and getting the team that you have there better, but also getting out and recruiting. We talked about the transfer portal, but that gets into the, the high school kids in the summer months as well. How is the perception of Belmont and your program changed since you've taken the job, Bart, especially with the back-to-back NCA tournament wins that you guys had the last couple of years? Yeah, I, I think we're uh, we're a lot more able and prepared to to have a really talented player have interest in us. That when we we call and we go watch a high school tournament, and we see we see you know three really good players, and and we make a phone call, and you know five years ago they might not have they might not have returned it, and now I think there's there's interest, and they're at least going to hear what we have to say because they've seen us, they've heard about us, they watched us play, you know, uh, on a on a big stage, <clears throat> and I think every player who really wants to be good wants to compete at at a really high level, wants to compete at the big stage, and uh, for us to to showcase that we're able to do that at Belmont. Belmont's a very unique place. It's a very unique uh university and a, the experience here as a student athlete is is different than anywhere I've ever been. And for us to be able to compete at the level that we compete on the floor, how we compete with the best teams in the country, but to still do it at a place that values people, that val- values um how they can impact uh, their campus and their community so much more than what they just do on a basketball court. That to us, we we still feel like we have something very unique to sell. And there's a lot of players that are looking for that. And, and we've been, I think, more successful in our recruiting uh, because of our success, obviously. But for me, even more than our success on the floor, that's been that's been an opportunity for us to tell the Belmont story to a lot more people. And there's been a lot more uh, interest and there's coaches that are aware of us now that never would have been aware of us when we call and say hey we just saw one of your players and goes, well I'm going to make sure they call you back because I know how good you guys are and that's that's something that started to happen uh, a lot more now than it, it ever has in the past I tell you what there there is something different about Belmont I was telling family over Easter just about the season and the experience and and being on campus more and more and around students and around the student athletes and around the coaching staff, it, it's just a different place. It feels like family. It feels like home. And 
So uh, there is a lot to sell. I know that we, we talk about the people and the transfer portal and things like that. And college basketball becomes a more moving thing. And that includes coaches too. And I know you've had opportunities and people who want you to leave and come coach their program and have the same success for them that you've had at Belmont. What has kept you and what has you excited about what's next at Belmont? Well, I'm, I'm, I still have no idea how I got this job. I'm still really confused why they hired You're me. You're good. That's what got it. But uh, I know once I got here, I was just really, um, really bought into what Belmont was about. That the the university, the 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 mission, the student focused, Christ centered aspect of education uh, is something that I can I can go home and and see my own two boys and. And just feel good about how I impact young people, how I can treat them right, and how I'm not expected to cut corners to win. That we we can win and we can do it the right way, and we can do it with people and alongside people that we really believe in, who believe in us. And that commitment to me, you know, to take a chance on me as a first year, that there was not, I did not have head coaching experience, and and coach, you know, Scott Corley took a chance on me as a coach. And I have an unbelievable amount of respect for Scott and and how he runs this athletics department, and what he stands for, how hard he fights for us uh, as as a as a university as an athletics department. And uh, he he is a huge reason. He's a the the reason why I'm here. And you know I I just have such a a stronger feeling for us building something and doing something that we've never done before. And when we won that first NCAA tournament game, that was special. And thinking about Betty Wiseman, who started our program in 1968, hugging her TV screen because she couldn't be with us because we're in the bubble in San Antonio. And we're celebrating on the floor and thinking about all of the players and all of the people that had helped build this program. And this was the first time that that program had won an NCAA tournament game. And then the next year to do it again and um, to have to have the, the Missouri Valley, the shift to the new league that's unbelievably huge jump in competition and to still end up first in the regular season tied for first and um the the new the first is really cool for me and you know going to another place where uh maybe we would have i don't know what they could give us more than what we need um i the things that are important to me what i value as a as a person as a as a husband as a father um as a coach everything is right here in front of me and I don't see a limit for what Belmont can do. Uh, I, I don't see that Belmont is limited by anything. And so if, if the sky's the limit here, why not build something here and make this the place where every little girl who grows up and wants to play basketball, they look and they say, Hey, I, I want to go to Belmont. That's pretty cool. And that's, that's my dream is that all these little campers that come to the curb and the Crockett center this summer, we've got, three weeks of 250 campers. We sell out our camp in a day. And those little girls are growing up loving the Belmont women's basketball program. And I just want to build something that everyone who's affiliated, everyone who touches this university, when they see our team play, when they see us on the road, when they see us, you know, out and about wherever we are, that there's an unbelievable amount of pride in who we are and how we represent everyone involved in this university. And so for me, this is this is a dream job, and I can't think of a better one. So until until that happens, I'm they're stuck with me. They're going to pay me until they stop paying me. I'm going to coach here. 
Well, that's music to a lot of ears in Music City, Bart. And I tell you what, there's a lot of people out there that are incredibly proud of you and your staff and the job Dr. Jones and Scott Corley and Renee are all, all doing to make sure that Belmont's position to have success at the next level. Got a couple more questions here for you. Uh, but first, I don't know when this vacation's coming. What's the first thing you're doing when you get to finally step away a little bit? Well, my my uh, youngest son, he's about to turn six, and he's been telling us for his birthday he wants to go to Florida and, I guess, play on a beach. So my guess is the first weekend that's available, we're going to be in the car, in the minivan, head south and find the first beach we run into and hang out for a couple of days. Well, I'm not sure if that car trip sounds like the most relaxing <laughs> thing ever, but the beach sounds great and you've definitely earned it. So the last three questions I asked everybody who comes on the podcast, because I think they're questions that while every guest is different, gives you a little bit of an insight into who the person is and what makes them tick. So the first question is if you weren't Bart Brooks, Belmont head basketball coach, you never got into coaching basketball. What would you be doing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I grew up in Wyoming, and we had animals, and I roped, and it was it was really a, a choice between rodeo and basketball in my middle school years, and I chose basketball. And so I always, every time I hear the Toby Keith song, I should have been a cowboy. I wonder if you know maybe I should have been a cowboy. Um, but I'd I'd probably be in Wyoming working outdoors either on a cattle ranch or um you know guiding guiding uh tourists through the mountains on trail rides and you know doing something to do something outside with animals and um that that'd probably be where i i if had the basketball not existed for me i would be a rodeo cowboy and probably loving life and enjoying a, a different pace of life for sure now have you ever ridden a bull so I was too young to ride bulls, but I rode steers. So that okay. was, uh, yeah. So I, I, we used to ride steers and horses and I roped anything that moved. So that was, that was how I grew up. So in my job at New Shelf 5, you get weird opportunities here and there. And I've taken most of them, like get in a race car and do all <laughs> this. The bull one is one that I, like, that feels like something where you actually could die. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's a uh, that's a great decision by you. Steer clear of the bull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's actually just good words to live by. Um, <laughs> okay, question number two is: What inspires you? What gets you to wake up every day? Most of the time, it's for for being a basketball coach, but just to live your life the way you have. What gets you up every morning to go out and and tackle the day? Yeah, I think just growing up how I grew up, um, you know, my dad, he my dad passed eight years ago and he uh, he gave up his dreams um, to when his father passed away to basically run their family business and went and took care of his, his younger siblings and his his mom. And I grew up uh, working every we had a uh, firewood that heated our house. We had two wood stoves. We didn't have any other heat in our home growing up. So we would spend our weekends chopping firewood. We'd spend our summers going to the mountains and cutting firewood for our heat in the winter. And I grew up just learning how to work and how to, how to take care of people, how to take care of your family, how to add animals. And I have to get up at six in the morning and milk the goats and feed the pigs. And like, 
all this stuff, this responsibility that I learned from a really early age, that it wasn't just about me, that it was a bigger picture, that I had to pull my share so that the rest of us could thrive. And I learned that really early. And I, I think just um, being, uh, you know, my mom, the toughness that she showed to go through um, a lot of years of of challenge and, um, you know, just... I'm just really blessed that I, I got to grow up in a family with parents who were so awesome and so supportive, but also showed me really how to how to live your life and how to have a bigger impact than just worry about what you're going to do every day. And um, so that that I think has got me obviously um, further in this profession because this profession, if it's about hard work and you've got to put in time and you know you got to put your head down and there's usually not a reward for it for a lot of years. And, and I think that has helped me. And then now being a dad and, and have a beautiful wife and two, two little boys that uh, when I wake up in the morning, I'm, I'm in that mode of, you know, trying to do what my dad did for me and show these, these kids what, what it's like to get up every day and do something that has, as meaning has impact. And it's not, a, it's not about us. It's about someone else. And so for me, that's, that's probably the biggest thing is just thinking about my parents and what their example and, trying to do that for my kids. Well, what an awesome answer. And I think it's evident in the way you live your life and frankly, in the way your teams compete too. And I think that's the highest compliment out there. This last one is really kind of an open-ended. You can take it any way you want. It's really what you do when you get a few moments to get away. You know, maybe it's the night you win the Missouri Valley Conference Championship and you get home and you have a few hours to enjoy it. Or maybe it's that first day you get at the end of the season that you get and it's with your family. You know, it could be it could be a great bottle of wine. It could be a good meal out. It could be a trip with the boys to do something. If you get that time to get away and celebrate or just relax, What's the thing you most like to do? What's your guilty pleasure in that moment? Yeah, you know what? This is an easy one. When when I get a minute, and it's usually it's got to be after the season because I feel guilty doing this in season. I go out to my backyard and I've got a big green egg and I fire up the big green egg and I put I put so many different meats on there and I I I just cook stuff and no one likes it. It's not very good. But I love the process. I love the I love how it smells. I love, you know, fiddling around with it and flipping it over. And hey, maybe I throw, you know, I've I've ruined more more good pieces of meat than I've actually cooked well. <laughs> but I tell you what, I, I love it because I'm back there with my boys and they're they're usually playing and we're trying to show them, you know, they're they're usually not concerned about the food as as much as they are their little mud puddles or whatever else they're doing in the yard. But um just spending time outside and with my grill, we just, just taking a breath and and enjoying the people that we're with. And it's always with family. It's with my wife and my two kids. And, you know, there's always, there's always something on the grill. That's for sure. Well, I don't know if that's fly fishing or being a rodeo cowboy in Wyoming, but it sounds like a good time. <laughs> the best news is uh, we got that time coming up here in the spring and summer. Yes, we do. Can't wait. Well, Bart, thanks so much for this, man. Congratulations on an incredible season. Always good to chat with you. And this was a lot of fun for me. So thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Appreciate all you do, Steve.